Hey, y'all. Welcome to Turnout, a podcast brought to you by Horsemen for Horsemen. I am Carly Fedorka, blogger, shout out a Yankee in Paris, pensioned thoroughbred farm manager, racing enthusiast and thoroughbred retrainer, and equine scientist. With me is John Wilkinson, the marketing manager at Equithrive and editor extraordinaire. We've teamed up for years for a variety of platforms, but never exactly this one, a podcast. I have heard from so many of you following blogs that you want to know more. More science, more training, more stories. So here we are. I've partnered with Equithrive to bring you this. I hope it will bring together all of my passions for one cohesive story. Science, veterinary medicine, industry, and the horses that tie it all together. So get those ponies turned out and tune in. I hope you enjoy. Carly, I feel like this has been a long time coming. <laughs> I, I agree with that one in a scary sense. Um, I'm honestly surprised it took you so long to talk into a microphone <sighs> because you're so great at talking. Yeah, but I also hate the sound of my voice. You got to get over it, you know? You got to <laughs> get over it because the world needs to hear you. I know, but at least this is way less scary than you videotaping me talking. Because I, I don't have to shower. What you don't know is that you are being <laughs> There's recorded. actually yes. cameras yes. all around us. Um, I- yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this episode. Hopefully, we're going to follow up with this with a variety of things. Um, for those of you that don't know, both John and I obviously are thoroughbred people to our cores, but through all of our circumstances, we've also become show horse people. So really hoping to kick this off with an episode about eventing, which is my favorite discipline of all of the disciplines. But moving on, I really think that we're going to touch on everything. I think we're going to touch on racing, on retraining, Hell, we might even go and talk to Arabian people. We're just not sure. So if you have a question about a disease, a disorder, how to train a horse to jump, how to train a horse to pull a cart, we might need to get some backup for those ones. But we really want it to encompass everything. Like we said, this is for horsemen by horsemen. And if we don't have the answers, we will do our damnedest to find them. We do have, we have Google. Yeah. So the, the Google is pretty, pretty essential. On our inaugural episode, we are lucky enough to have obtained the dream team of fierce women who have paved their own way through their lives with horses. We will be chatting with Dr. Fernanda Camargo on the first annual Horse Industry Safety Summit and how we study getting hurt. Following, we'll hear from Lillian Hurd, who is heading to Kentucky to beat her personal best of 13th place at Kentucky Land Rover five-star event, And finally, Dr. Heather Woodruff to discuss the pre-purchase examination on these event horses and how she helps the event riders prepare. Now, a quick word from Equithrive. It's no secret the animal nutrition market is saturated with substandard products and unfounded claims. As horse owners, trying to choose the right supplement for the right horse can be maddening and ultimately a waste of time and money. Well, Equithrive has simplified this whole supplement song and dance for you with a lineup of products that are developed with care and backed by science. Products you can trust to safely support optimal health and wellness of your ponies and pups. Equithrive's proprietary resveratrol ingredient, resveracin, has been clinically proven to reduce lameness, inflammation and oxidative stress in horses, as well as support optimum metabolic function. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off plus free shipping on their first order. 
Just head over to equithrive.com and use the promo code CARLY at checkout. And yes, you can blame my mother, that's C-A-R-L-E-I-G-H, for 10% off and free shipping. Stop wasting your time and money on unproven products. If you believe in products backed by scientific research and clinical trials, Equithrive is the name to remember. Do your critters a favor and visit equithrive.com today. Um, my Equithrive vest is covered in manure right now, so it's fine. I smell beautiful. Dr. Fernanda Camargo obtained her DVM in Brazil before heading to the States and gaining a PhD in veterinary science with a focus in toxicology and pharmacology under Dr. Thomas Tobin. Shout out, Dr. Tobin. She now works as a faculty member at the University of Kentucky in their equine programs and is the 4-H specialist for the entire state. In her free time, though, Fernanda enjoys spending time with her son, singing karaoke unprovoked whenever needed, and long hacks on my thoroughbred Nixon, but only when her quote-unquote very safe quarter horse is scared of saddlebreds. So... Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Camargo not about the fact that her quarter horse is quite breedist, but more so on the fact that she is quite the advocate for studying uh, horse handler and rider safety, and the fact that this coming Tuesday on April 24th, what is the date? 23rd. 23rd, we are going to be hosting the first inaugural Horse Industry Safety Summit. So I wanted to touch base with Dr. Camargo, who I'll just be calling Fernanda from here on out, on a few things. Most importantly, why safety? Like what got you into studying safety? Okay, so first of all, let me just say that my horse is indeed very safe (laughs) for the adult amateur that I am. And we can tell you he's not safe by the fact that she got on my grade one placed thoroughbred to ride home. He is safe if he is taking... Calming supplement. <laughs> and not exposed to saddle seat horses. That's correct. <laughs> so what got me into studying safety? So about 10 years ago, when the World Equestrian Games came to Lexington, uh, we thought it would be... Uh, so when the UK Healthcare was decided to be the one... Uh, the big sponsor. The, well, the sponsor and the ones providing medical care to everyone... Um, in Lexington at that time. So we said, you know what, this is a great time, you know, for us to put things together and talk about safety. And this is when we formed a group between the College of Ag and UK Healthcare and a number of other organizations called Settle Up Safely. As we got together with these like-minded people, which included physicians, psychologists, uh, physical therapists, nurses, all these people that are also horse people, We just like started to learn so much more and we started to do more research and more reading into safety and into practices that we do and just just talking with each other how the culture of horseback riding is if you're not dead or going to die in the next one minute, you need to go back on the horse if you get thrown. Yeah. And just to touch on that, we talk about this quite a bit in the Saddle Up Safely meetings about the fact that we as equestrians are almost encouraged to just swing back on. Not Don't almost, get not out. almost. We're 100% encouraged because w- people say you're going to teach your horse a bad lesson. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a horse issue, not a rider issue. We're more respectful of the horse. So what, as we study more and we uh, did a little research and saw uh, with about 380 
people and we decided and we saw that about 64% of the accidents, horse-related accidents, could be prevented. Hmm. And the person actually knows, and they say, about 60 of them say that it could be prevented if they had done something else. They felt that that was going to happen. So looking back at that, and I'm just so interested because as I age, (laughs) right, and as I became a mother, I grew up riding horses in Brazil, working cattle with, uh, you know, ranch horses all my life. I did my jumping lessons and equitation lessons and all sorts of those things too. But I mean, safety was just, you're working cattle, right? So, but as I became older and I realized that you don't bounce back (laughs) as well as you do when you're younger. And after I became a mother, my world just changed because now there is a reason for me to live another day. Yep. Not that I didn't want to live before, but the thing is, if I got hurt before, it, eh, it's immaterial almost. But yep. now I ha- I can't afford to get hurt. My new motto is that post 30, there's two things that get a ton worse. Hangovers and horse falls. I swear, we just don't bounce back post 30 in I, either of those situations. I do bring medication from Brazil <laughs> to treat hangovers if you want me to hook you up with I that. I horse it's drugs. Amazing. Robaxum, Surpass, <laughs> they do great for the human. <laughs> so anyway so i would have to agree with you so (laughs) that's when i started seeing and by studying uh, traumatic brain injuries and concussions i started to see that it's really a mistake for you to ride a horse without a helmet that's the least that you can do your brain is the most important part of your body and helmets and then people use a million excuses not to wear a helmet they say it it doesn't protect your neck Okay, but it protects your head. Uh, so, but it doesn't, but my hair or I feel hot or whatever. So there's so many different reasons not to wear a helmet. But the truth is a helmet may not protect from a concussion, but there are now new, new technologies that even may protect for concussions, but it will definitely protect your head against uh, more severe traumatic brain injuries. And so as, so this is like now we're in the 2010, 11, 15, and, and so on and so forth. And that's how I became more and more interested in studying horse-related injuries and what leads, uh, the mechanisms, how these people get injured, the body parts that uh, people injure and all that, and what kinds of injuries will make you stay longer in the hospital and spend a lot of money. So let's touch on that, obviously on two things. Uh, Dr. Camargo and I have had numerous conversations about all of this, but We always assume that rider safety is simply a helmet, and that's a huge part of it. We are studying how helmets function. There's the new MIPS technology coming out, which you touched on, but more so, what are we looking forward to in this horse industry safety summit? Because I think that that's one of the greatest misperceptions is that it's just going to be about helmets, and there's so many other ways that we can not only study safety, but also promote safety. So can you touch a little bit on who's going to be talking, what we're going to be educated on. Oh, absolutely. No, and horse safety is, so helmet is obviously to protect your head, but there is everything else horse-related. I think one of the most important things, in my opinion, is the horse rider suitability. Mm -hmm. So you can't put me on Nixon and hope that I survive, (laughs) even though I did, or put you on Chief and hope that you survive, which you did. I was in a much more dangerous predicament You were in a very dangerous predicament. On the Palomino quarter horse. (laughs) But it made me realize that he wasn't just, I wasn't the bad rider. It was him. The problem was him. So that was good for my ego. Um, But regarding the the horse industry safety summit on Tuesday, so we're going to have 
world-class researchers. We're going to be talking about traumatic brain injury, exercises to uh, rehab after you have that. We're going to talk about the MIPS technology and other uh, types of technology also, which uh, Dr. Stephanie Bonin is going to be talking about, and she just does a fantastic uh, research. We are going to be talking about the multiple continents. So Roy Burick from uh, Charles Owen and ASTM is going to be talking about the different um, standards in different continents because the United States has one. I guess Australia has another one. Europe has another one. I think even in Europe you have English and, yeah. and other countries. And even more so, how do we really even enforce whether or not riders are wearing a- ASTM helmets because we don't make them pull them off at the bit check, you know? So, so you hope by the looks of the helmet that it is an ASTM yep. uh, helmet as opposed to just a hunt cap, Yes. right? But how do you enforce that the helmet hasn't been on a fall? So if the helmet has been on a fall, uh, you should check your helmet, which is something that Dr. Bonin does uh, to see if you can continue to ride the helmet. But just by looking at the helmet, sometimes if it's not cracked, you can't see. So yeah. how do we enforce? That is something that maybe can come up after um, the summit next week. Uh, other things that we're going to be talking about is... Well, there's that super cool stuff on safety vests. There's safety vest. Uh, Dr. Sarah Andres from... Uh, she's going to represent the United States Pony Club. She's going to talk about protective vests and it, does it indeed protect your torso... Uh, which, as a matter of fact, is the when you have accident. It is the part of your body, maybe because it's bigger, but that's accidents to your torso is what is going to lend you to stay longer in the hospital. So arms and legs break more, but organ laceration and rib fracture and all that will uh, make you go from the ER and be ad- admitted to the hospital. Do you so. know if she's going to be talking at all about air vests? And the deployed vest that the eventers are wearing these days, I should say, and fox hunters and random people. I don't know. I've always, so just on a tangent. But it's something you could ask her, even I, if she doesn't. Yeah, probably going to ask her. I fell off last week uh, wearing just my safety vest and not my air vest because I hadn't refilled my air canister from my last fall in my safety vest. So I just went and cross-country schooled without it like a true brilliant scientist that I am. And I fell, and let From me tell who? you, um, the safe one, Mac, my safe one, you not always, the one you I always put you fall on. from him. I know, which is it's, it's always when you let your guard down. Yeah. But I will tell you from an N of one in my scientific study that it hurts more to fall off without an air vest. The air vest. So Interesting. my scientific research tells me that we should promote them, yeah. even though they cost a bazillion dollars. Well, and other riders, uh, so like I am an amateur rider, but other professional riders will use that all the time and they claim that it has saved yeah. their lives. It's, it's, yeah, it's mostly supposed to be able to deploy and protect your tailbone because it falls down and also come up to your neck. So it almost comes to your helmet. I landed flat on my lower back where my actual safety vest covered, but it still hurt really yeah. badly. Yeah. And there were some chosen words screamed. Yeah. The dog so market send your canister to be filled. <laughs> oh, no, I have extras. <laughs> just, oh, you just bought just, 12 more. Yeah, Good. they just weren't in my truck. Oh, I, I bought like a dozen when I was still riding Nixon, but I don't fall off of Nixon. It's fine. Oh, my okay, so even more so than helmet and safety, we also have some talks on the non-rider, so just the handler. So we're going to have talks also, you know, we're going to have two panels, and these panels are going to have riders and handlers, and we have Hall of Fame jockeys that are coming, Pat Day, Chris McCarron, 
are coming to talk to us. We're going to have uh, Richard Pickett. He's a show jumping coach. Yeah, Richard Pickett designs a lot of our show jumping courses and also trains a ton of our Olympic level eventers for He does, show jumping. yeah. So he trains um, Boyd Martin, mm-hmm. Philip Dutton. Yes, correct. Uh, Ellie Knowles is an eventer and she's going to... And so to give a perspective of the writer, what do they do? And obviously the former first lady, Jane Bashir is also going to come to talk to us to describe the one fall that she had uh, a year or so ago yes. uh, that could have cost her life and how her guard was totally down and she I met with her a couple of weeks ago and how I asked her, are you ever going to let your guard down that way again? And she yeah. said, absolutely not. So to clarify so. what Fernanda's talking about, um, and I'll let Mrs. Bashir give the whole story, come to the Horse Industry Safety Summit, but she experienced a really bad fall um, about 18 months ago, it was at Jumpstart. So in September of 2018, and I just happened 17, to be 17 there. maybe? Oh, yep. It's 2019 yeah. now. Cool. Doing well. Um, I just happened to be there at the time and she, it was just, you know, she's a really good rider. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody's ever seen her ride, but she's a beautiful rider, a hell of a horsewoman. And she was just hacking back to the trailers and had dropped her stirrups and was drinking a glass of water and her horse took off bucking and yeah. she got drug up the hill at the Kentucky horse park pretty badly. And when I arrived to the scene, she was knocked unconscious and it was a pretty scary situation. But that then leads me to one of the other things about horse industry safety, which is that she was wearing a medical armband, more specifically a bracelet. So huge advocate for those. Ride Safe makes them, Road ID makes them, Tag Code makes them. And so that's like another thing. It doesn't have to be just what we're wearing to actually protect our skeletal mm-hmm. structure, it can be little things like being able to have that emergency ID on you. Yeah, so, that so when the EMT comes, the yeah, when they come, they actually know what kind of blood you need to receive. Yeah. Or if, yeah. in her case, if she had ever had a hip replacement or a knee replacement or had any metal in her body type of blood if she needed it. So Everything. it's really, that's the type of thing that we're really hoping to get across with this Horse Industry Safety Summit. It's going to be. The first part of the day is going to be these amazing research projects and how we study safety and how we can improve safety. But then these panels uh, at the end of the day that Fernando was talking about and having riders like Allie Knowles, but also trainers like Richard Pickin. And then we're also going to have industry members that actually can change some of these policies. Exactly. So the last panel of the day, there's going to be multiple industry um, an organization representatives that are representing the Jockeys Guild, the United States Equestrian Federation, the United States Eventing Association, Keeneland, uh, the NTRA, National Thoroughbred Racing Association, and uh, the National HBPA to talk about how can we as an organization, how can they, because they may be making rules, they may be making adjustments to try to protect the riders. Uh, so for example, and I, I, I like to say this, that I am an adult amateur that rides maybe once or twice a week. And if the day that I'm riding, if I don't feel good, if my horse doesn't feel good, if he's a little bucky, uh, I, there, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. So I can simply dismount my horse, go home, and I can always ride tomorrow. That's the truth. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I have good horses. If he is feeling ill, bucky or whatnot, I know there's something wrong with him. And that's one of the things that I like to uh, mention also is that a lot of the times horses act out out of pain somewhere. So I don't know if they need a chiropractor adjustment. I don't know if they have muscular pain as opposed to being behavioral. And we getting back on the horse, maybe it's the yeah. pain hasn't been fixed. 
So a lot of the times we think it's behavior and it isn't. So I think it's important uh, for people to understand that a lot of other riders are professionals. So they actually have to be on the horse and they don't get paid if they are not going to ride 10, 12 horses yeah. a day. And Especially that goes for jockeys. Of jockeys. Ah, and also uh, sport horse trainers. You know, if I pay you to train my horse, I expect you to ride my horse five days a week. Yep. Right. So they have to uh, get back on the saddle where, whereas I don't, yep. uh, as an amateur. And we're, uh, we're definitely getting better about that in the sport horse world. Like I at least know for USEA, if you fall off in stadium warm up, you have to get checked out by the EMT before you're allowed to remount. And we hope that those EMTs are giving you a concussion test of some form, but we just aren't seeing the same thing in the racetrack. So these jockeys are paid for by individual clients, not by the racetrack itself. And therefore, the jockey makes the decision of whether or not he's getting on that next horse. Yes. And some, um, so uh, Dr. Carl Medicola, that's going to be talking about the baseline that's concussion awesome. test. Yeah. So he has done it at Keeneland and I think at Maryland, they're also starting to do Mar- Maryland, Maryland, Maryland. Uh, Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are also going doing the baseline pr- uh, concussion protocol to test these jockeys to see um, what they are normally and after they come off of a horse. And I think one of the biggest things too is the exercise riders because mm-hmm. they're like almost a forgotten yes. uh, population. Um, so it's, you know, it is going to be. And we're definitely regulating what the exercise riders are wearing to an extent. Like they have to have a safety vest and they have to have and a, a helmet. helmet. But, but I think especially on the track, it's not ASTM approved. Well, but it depends on the track because I think Keeneland, it has to be. Yeah. So it depends on the track. So we're talking about Keeneland, which is first line, top of the line, you know, five yeah. star. And then all the other tracks in the United States. And, and Dr. Matacola even showed a ton of data showing that the chosen helmet of many of the exercise riders is the least effective Correct. in that preventing is true. anything. But, you know, we also had a long conversation about that. And how do you convince those exercise riders that are not living of any high means, they're falling off probably more often than your average equestrian. And so for them to constantly replace a 300 or $400 helmet, yeah. it would be very expensive. It is now, expensive. If we had a way to get some form of track supervision to help provide these things, I think it would help lower the insurance issues with the tracks at the it same time be. as it protecting the riders. I guess that's something, yeah, to think about. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, so the thing is, too, we have developed an app, which is a sideline oh, yeah. concussion uh, test. So just go to your app store and type in saddle up safely. And the app comes on, and it's a, it's adapted by uh, the SCAT test, which is sideline concussion assessment uh, test, assessment test <laughs> uh, which is sports concussion. Uh, and so it's on a, your app because it is a form, the, the SCAT test, but nobody has a form, paper and form, when they are at the barn. They may have in sports events, such as a football game. But everybody has their phone on, so you can quickly, your friend, as you're laying down after being thrown from a horse, yeah. they can quickly assess and chew. It's, it's not going to uh, diagnose a concussion. It's just going to say, call 911 now. This person needs to be airlifted or no, you can drive this person to the hospital. So that kind of yeah. assessment. So it's not any diagnostics whatsoever. But And I think this is obviously totally off topic from what we're promoting with the Horse Industry Safety Summit. But there also is the new app that SmartPak has out now. Have you heard about this? I where have not. Tell me more. There, I haven't used it yet. I probably should because I ride alone all the time. 
But it is for riders who are oh, riding by themselves. Yeah. And like you turn on the app and say like, I'm starting my ride. Yeah. And if you fall off and you're immobile for, I think, greater than two and a half or three minutes, they immediately call your in case of emergency numbers. So you can set it up to call your mom or your husband or your wife or your brother, whoever, um, your priest, if you want to. And it'll just immediately dial that number when you've fallen off. I've heard it works great. I think it's awesome, especially for people like me who are riding out outdoors by themselves on a daily basis. My greatest fear, though, is that I'm going to fall asleep and have not turned it off. <laughs> and that's going to call me as I'm falling asleep. But I've been told it doesn't do that. <laughs> well, I guess then it's going to depend on who your in case of emergency person is. And if it's Luke, I don't think it's yeah. going to care. <laughs> well, unless he's been up right falling beside you, well, he's not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's, if it's two in the morning, I don't. I think she's sleeping. She's not falling from a horse. <laughs> well, so. In my dreams, in probably dream, in my yeah. nightmares. No, but I... I really think that it's it's such an important thing to talk about. Uh, Fernanda jokingly asked me to be on the committee of this conference and then also the board of Saddle Up Safely. And when she asked me, I said to her, you know I am not a safety freak in any way, shape, or form. Why me? But it is so important that not only that we get the perspective of people that are showing saddle seat and it's not socially acceptable to be in a helmet or are doing barrel racing. Like we're really making progress with a lot of these things and getting it to be more cool to do it. And we talk about just how much the dynamics changed and even the industries that didn't used to have safety equipment. You look at the hunters. When my mom grew up doing the McClays in the 1960s and 70s, there was not even a chin strap on the helmets. And it was cool to have a navy velvet hunt cap. But now it's cool to have a SAM shield. And a SAM shield is actually a very safe helmet. So a lot of what we're doing, it can become culturally acceptable if we just get it to be cool again. And the, the yeah, best and evidence of, of that is eventing. You put stuff in fun colors and sparkles. And eventers are going to wear it. And I don't want to pick on saddle seat industry. And I think that I think that industries, as when they start seeing more accidents, that's they're more. We are more reactive than proactive. And I think there hasn't been a lot of accidents in the saddle seat industry. And because I don't, those horses are not prone to rearing or bucking because of their confirmation. <laughs> that is true. Uh, and but you see more kids in the saddle seat industry yeah. now wearing. Uh, even at the the world championships in Louisville, they are wearing helmets now, which I think yeah. is great. Uh, for barrel racers, we see more helmets being worn. Now, obviously, I oversee the 4-H horse program in Kentucky, and we mandate helmets uh, to everyone. And I do think that as a mother, <laughs> and everybody that is a parent, should. Why? So you, you, you may choose not to protect your head, but why would you choose not to protect yeah. your kid's head? I think that that's the m- most as- astonishing thing in my opinion, yeah, that parents just put, no, he can do this. And you know, this horse, no, it's a horse. When we are on top of a horse, our head is about seven to eight feet from the ground. So when we fall, and if we're jumping yeah. now, we're talking about 12 feet off the ground. And if you ride my horses, it's like 16, then it's like <laughs> 19 feet off the ground. So the thing is, you, you know what I mean? We can't, this is not a joke. Well, and also if you instill those things to young children, exactly. it becomes a habit. It used to be not cool, but now my son, for example, where is my helmet? Where, which he outgrew his helmet, and I need to buy another helmet, so he hasn't been able to ride in the last <laughs> few weeks, and somebody's not happy. But <laughs> the truth is you can't ride because I haven't ordered a helmet yet, but yeah. I will soon. It's my mistake that he can't ride. And but. it's funny because we always get the argument, um, and this I'm 
you know, this is the inaugural episode of this podcast. So I don't know if all listeners know, but I grew up riding Western. I went and I worked in Wyoming and broke out a ton of young stock and also did rodeo. And I never wore a helmet the entire time there. I do now. I've seen too many of my friends have really catastrophic falls. I've seen people die and I refuse to let myself do it. But the argument that we always get is that if I post a picture of myself on Facebook riding one of my thoroughbreds and jump tack and I don't have a helmet on, I get heckled. But if I post a picture of 10 years ago when I worked in Wyoming and I'm in my rope saddle in the mountains, I don't. And that bothers me more than anything because I was as dangerous in a situation in Wyoming as I am now, if not more so. First of all, I was falling off in the Bighorn Mountains on rock. So not this cush astroturf in the arenas around Lexington, Kentucky, but more so I fell off more during those two years in Wyoming than I've ever fallen off of these thoroughbreds. But if you're in a Western saddle, it's more socially acceptable. And that shouldn't be the way it is. It's that just shouldn't. as dangerous. Number one, every time we ride, we should hope and try our best to not fall. The idea is to stay Sometimes. on top of the horse. <laughs> and that's why some of the, and one of the talks is going to be learn how to fall. Yeah, the uh, land the, safe The land stuff. safe people And they are, are also doing a clinic with the University of Kentucky Equestri- or eventing team this coming weekend. So I think oh, Saturday good. and Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So that's a and really cool they came for that. system. Yeah. I was taught land safe at the age of four on a Shetland pony. So, so yeah. So I guess tuck and roll, but try not to even try to fall before. Like try to hang on. And if you see you're not going to hang on. Don't just give up ship, you know, like as soon as the horse gives one buck, in my opinion, it's like, because sometimes I you're like, not. I should be giving this talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, hold I'm, on. Fernanda. Hold on to the horse. I don't fall often, Carly. <laughs> I actually haven't fallen in a long time. That's because you dismount. <laughs> Definitely. Because I have nothing to prove. Um, but I think the, the, the best thing about this uh, safety uh, summit is the fact that we're bringing different people from different organizations trying to find commonalities yes. uh, amongst uh, all these organizations that are coming to represent uh, at the summit. And we're trying to increase the safety for all the riders and handlers. And how can we do it? How can we make safe Cool. Yeah. You know, I think that the longer, and I think that that's one of the things that the Settle Up Safely, you know, has enlightened me in a sense that the longer you are around horses, you let your guard down more and more and more. Because the truth is, I, and I think I can speak for all of us, is the fact that horses generally, unless they're vicious, don't want to hurt you. Okay. So if they did, they would. There would be many, many, many more accidents my, than what my, we see. My horses want to hurt me sometimes. Well, Frank is wanting to kill you, has been, and he will probably. And Frank um, isn't the one I'm worried about. Well, Frank bucks you <laughs> off all the time. Um, That's my quarter horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so horses don't want to hurt you, number one. Number two is that most of the times, even if we are unsafe, nothing happens. And that's mm-hmm. how people just get lazy and uh, um, don't take safety precautions every single time. Uh, when you have a farm and you go to the barn, like wearing flip-flops or, you know, like who doesn't do that? I do that almost all the time uh, at night when I go to do my night because I'm not going to have a horse. I'm not going to see, I'm going to see them outside of their soul. And I do. Should I do it? I shouldn't do it. I should be wearing boots or I should be wearing closed toe shoes. That's the truth of it. And then if I'm wearing flip-flops. I shouldn't even be close to a horse, but then I see a cut. And then yep. I, all, of a, all of a sudden, I see myself inside a stall 
with flip-flops with a horse and it is not okay and that's being lazy it's not right do you know what right. will stop you from wearing flip-flops around the horses? day he steps on me or if you have to deliver a foal and you get all that amniotic fluid on your feet that always that'll stay in your mind for quite some time and your legs so yeah, don't wear shorts everywhere don't shorts, wear shorts flip-flops no because that's what happens to me is i'll be out walking around in my flip-flops and get the phone call and then you just don't have time to go get shoes yeah so but you know what i mean so let's not be lazy let's try to make safe fun again and I guess it's never been fun, but let's make safe okay. (laughs) But, but on that note, I think that it's not that it's fun. It's that you've mentioned earlier about the comfortability of being safe. And I think that we all need to get it out of our heads that these helmets and these safety vests are like big and clunky or whatever. We have enough options and there's been such huge strides in making helmets breathable and safe in making safety vests breathable and movable and safe in making shoes comfortable that still protect your feet. So just because your helmet that you wore in 1975 fit your head weird, guess what? There's other options out there these days. We have helmets for oval shaped heads, square shaped heads, octagonal, Uh, yep, that word, shaped heads, everything. So if it didn't fit you before, it doesn't mean you can't find the option. Try different brands, try different styles. And here's the other thing too that I think is important is the fact that horse people are very passionate. So they get emotional over a subject and we need to remove the emotion <laughs> from it and just rely on the facts. Yeah. So don't be so emotional over your Caliente helmet. Yeah. I mean, go for the bulky one that's <laughs> going to protect your head. And I think, like you said, all these helmet manufacturers have improved so much making the helmet more sleek because, you know, it's hard to look uh, sideways when you have such a bulky helmet on your head. Um but we need to remove the emotion. Let's not be angry. Let's not be so dramatic over things and just rely more on facts. And that's why this conference is going to be so important because it's bringing research facts together with uh, practical tips that everybody has. So everybody on the panels and as speakers are horse men and women and also either researchers or professionals in the area. So it's so it's not like I'm not just a researcher, but I'm also a horse person and everybody else that's going to speak is the same way. And I think that's probably about the perfect place to wrap this one up. Um, just for everybody's information, the Horse Industry Safety Summit is being put on by the University of Kentucky's Department of Agriculture, actually the College of Agriculture, Food and Environment, Correct. CAFE. Um, and it'll be at Spindletop Hall on Tuesday. We are starting at 8 a.m. We start at 8. Yes, check with, in at, at 7.30. Yep. And are there any more tickets available? There are probably about 10 tickets available, but I went ahead and ordered the food for these last 10 tickets in case somebody <laughs> buys it after today. So can they buy them at the door or does it have to be through Eventbrite? They could buy it at the door, but the truth is, like I said, we have 10 yeah, tickets available. Yeah. So go to the Facebook page. The Horse Industry Safety Summit has its own Facebook page and you can see whether or not the, the tickets are still available there. Um, otherwise we'll hopefully have a follow-up of what we learned at the summit and Absolutely. where we're going from here with right. policy changes and how we make it cool again to be safe, to be safe or make it cool to start with, to be safe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if, if it has ever been cool. Listen, it's, it's going to cool. start. 2019 is the we're year gonna of the coolness. We're going to start dazzling yeah. our helmets. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I guess it's already happened. It has. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Camargo. Well, I thank wish you, we Dr. could Fedorica. sign off with you singing, but I feel like that's that, all right yeah. uh, next, next time. time next yeah. time yep we'll absolutely bring i'll bring the karaoke yeah okay. you bring the karaoke i'll bring the tequila sounds good we will have fun thank you so much all for right. joining thank us thank you it's a pleasure <laughs>
Next, we have Dr. Heather Woodruff, DVM to the stars, or at least myself, born and raised as a fellow Yankee. She obtained her DVM at the University of Florida. She will probably say at least once today, go Gators. Go Gators. (laughs) Well, we're going to start counting. There's one. Was in the sport horse department at Hagrid Equine Medical, which is when I met her, before starting her own practice, shout out Foxwood Equine, with fellow Haggard alum Holly Schmidt Fox. And they now provide services to a variety of locations, including right here in Lexington, but also Wellington, Ocala, Traverse City, WEF, you name it, they'll come to you. And the coolest thing about Heather is that she is certified in acupuncture and is also an eventer herself. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. I'm really excited because I feel like this is just going to be one of our phone calls <laughs> recorded. It really is. It really is. And yes, we might have to do some bleeping if it is yeah, going to be like just, some of our phone calls. Just a little bit of bleeping. And we won't talk about, you know, how terrible my horses are or anybody that we don't like. It's fine. It's fine. It never happens. So I met Heather, God, probably, look, we already have to bleep that. Gosh, yeah. probably a decade ago yeah. doing an endurance race. Yes, because I was an intern at Haggard's in 2009. That's when I started. So, and I was still trying to get into vet school. Yeah, look so where it we're was now. at an endurance race, no less. Yeah, yeah. two eventers playing with Arabians, trying to see whether or not their heart rates were normal and their temperatures or were sound-ish. normal. Sound ish. Which basically leads us to what we're going to talk about, because we're yeah. going to do the same thing, yes. only with not Arabians. There might be an Arabian. Is there an Anglo-Arab at Rolex? Probably not. Not Rolex? Not Rolex. I think, well... Uh, last year there was. Yeah, last year there um, was. There was that little mare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't remember who that was, but I don't... And I honestly haven't even looked at the list this year to tell you. No, and there's only like 45 people entered, which mm. is scary, Small. but also might make our day on Saturday go real quick. Yes. Which nobody will complain about. No. No. So I mentioned Saturday because part of Heather's job at Land Rover is acting as one of the volunteer veterinarians on cross country day. And I myself drive one of the equine ambulances. So we are a radio call away from each other. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to experience Rolex from a safety perspective, Land that Rover. might be the best way. Darn it. Land Rover. Yeah. That might be the, I'm going to n- number how many times you say go Gators and you just count me and Land Rover and whoever has the highest number has to buy a beer. When, nice. Okay? I like it. John will, John will start keeping yeah. track. But so we literally have radio access between the ambulances, the lead veterinarians, and then there are veterinarians stationed at every fence. Almost every fence. Kind so, of combinations, groups are clustered together. Yeah, there's usually um, probably like 10 to 15 of us on course um, between the end, um, spread throughout the course. Um, you never really have more than two fences, and it's what's geographically makes sense that you can get to and a truck can get to yeah. if you need to. Um, the the bigger, scarier fences, the hollow, the head of the lake, um, generally have one vet that's your only fence. Um, that you have that you have to keep an eye on um, throughout the whole day. And then there's, um, yeah, the head vet who is up in um, the tower with the announcer keeping an eye on everything. They've got cameras. They can see everything the whole course. So we are in constant communication. Um, If a horse um, needs something, you know, we can, everyone knows what's going on. And I real time. I think that was a very eye-opening experience for me the first time that I did the ambulance was... As an outsider looking in, we only hear of the horses that were pulled up on course, retired, mm-hmm. etc. But once you get into that vet community and you really hear how, how detailed the attention is being paid to each individual horse, you're noticing 
if the horse is bleeding from its mouth, if yep. there's scratches on its legs. Yep. And what yep. what steps do you take? So we are, we, we try to keep, we call it chatter to a minimum. So all we really talk about is how it looks galloping. If there's obvious lameness, like you said, if there's obvious blood on the horse. Don't um, ride gray horses at five-star events. Or, That's been my strategy. Or put white polos yeah. on. Yeah, don't use white bandages. Don't use white bandages. That's <laughs> number one. Um, so, and we just talk, and if, if you notice it, so say I'm early in the course. Say I've got fence five. So it's after a big hill. So I say, hey, you know, horse number three looks like it's struggling a little bit. You know, it didn't come off really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's riders really pushing it. Um, and then the people who are, the vets who are behind me, you know, at fence six, at fence seven, you know, they may say, hey, horse looks really good now, you yeah. know, or hey, horse is still struggling. You know, the rider's really pushing, um, you know, or yes, now looks obviously lame. Um, we do not have the power to actually stop a horse. So we are just there for the safety of the horse. If if we are concerned about the horse, we have to get the um, the TDs in, the technical delegates in. Um, and that's when um, the vet up in the top, you know, they get the cameras on that horse so they can see what's going on. So we cannot just step in front of a horse and say, hey, stop. Yep. Um, but we keep an eye on every horse as it gallops around. Um, and, and a lot of people don't see that. They see the vets at the end, you know, yeah. because there are, you know, there are three or four vets at the end. There's, that's where all the vet students are. We get a lot of um, students that come up, one or two from a couple nearby schools. So there's usually about 30 vet students. They're taking temperatures, taking heart rates, that sort of stuff. Um, that's what everyone sees. People don't tend to notice the vet trucks that are yeah. sprinkled around the course. And like I said, there's usually 10 to 15 of us yeah. um, out there. Um, just keeping an eye that everyone has a safe and hopefully, you know, healthy ride. That's and, the and, goal every year. And to add to that, if a rider does fall or a horse does mm-hmm. fall, we obviously have the EMTs and the ambulances and mm-hmm. Lord knows there's a helicopter waiting in the middle yep. of the cross country course. And everybody sees that. But in that way, we can attend to both. So yes. while the EMTs are paying attention to the rider, it's not spectators right. that are grabbing the horse. We have right. veterinarians and, and vet, vet students, students yep. that can really just be there right at that moment. Yep. And there's also area stewards, I think is what they're called. They're still FEI officials. And so if I need help, so a rider has fallen or a horse has fallen and I need extra hands, yes, it is. We don't let the spectators come and handle them. Um, you know, there's the other vets will come help, you know, because usually that creates a hold on course. So another vet can come help me. The area steward can come help me yep. and do crowd control. Yep. Um, and, um, and some of us, our techs are with us too, if we have technicians um, with us, you know, so there's usually an extra body or two um, to hold the horse if the rider can't hold yeah. the horse. Um, and then if something happens, we give it a quick look over and we make that decision. Is it safe and healthy enough to walk back to the barn? Yep. Do we need a transport or do we need an ambulance? Yep. So we can say, yes, it's sound walking. Yes, it's breathing heavy, but it's fine. You know, yes, it can walk back um, because it's hard to mobilize those ambulances and those transports. So, the, you know, we always want them to be able to walk back and walking is better for them. Yeah. Especially they've galloped half the course. They need that walk to cool out. And, and we've definitely gotten into that conversation as well, where people assume that eventing is so similar to racing, where if they see a horse step on that trailer it means it's a catastrophic injury or it's a devastating issue guys if you Mm -hmm. guys see a horse get on the trailer Mm -hmm. 
a lot of the times it's because we're so concerned about crowd control. Yes. We're so concerned about having that horse walk from the hollow all the mm-hmm. way back to the barns that it's yep. just safer and easier to put them on a normal trailer, not, yep. a, not a lifted trailer, yep. and just get them back to the barn. So don't assume the worst. You know, we're, there's, there's a variety of, like I said, safety options, not just the vets, but we have trailers that are for if the horse is injured, mm-hmm. and then we have a ton of trailers for A, if the rider's injured, yep. but also more so just to prevent that crowd surging. Because you'd be amazed... Yep. Walking down that main road past the Rolex Arena and Walden Arena, that's the last place you want a horse that's studded to be. To be walking. So, yeah. So, moving kind of on, we obviously, like you said, like we know about the vet box. We're obviously checking to make sure these horses are returning to a regular vital signs, temp, respiration rate, heart rate. Mm -hmm. But then we get back to the barns. So can you kind of elaborate into what we're seeing being done? It's an FEI event. We've already, you know, talked to Lillian Hurd about how that basically negates your, your normal Meds, medication. No yeah. medications. So yep. what are we doing for these horses to kind of rehabilitate them post cross country to get them ready for stadium? So depending on the weather, fluids are allowed, um, you know, and in the heat and the humidity, um, which sometimes we have and sometimes yeah. we have we a don't know 45 degree rainy day, <laughs> um, some of these horses do come off a little um, depleted and dehydrated. So fluids are always good for recovery. So a lot of these horses are getting fluids. Um, they and other than that it is it's just really good horsemanship really their legs get ice they get walked a lot um you know bandaging on their legs certain liniments are allowed certain are not so you have to be very careful on what you have you're putting on your legs um a lot of these horses get acupunctured um acupuncture is great for recovery um massages body work um i don't know many people who chiropractic after cross country but definitely before usually they get chiropracted um you know before the event really um you know and then it's just all the walking all the walking um I think it's really interesting to note that because we kind of have a lot of um, PR going out right now of the fact that we're losing horsemanship. Mm-hmm. And there, there definitely is both sides to argue, mm-hmm. but you go back to the barns at these even lower levels, but yep. especially at the five-star level. And yes, there's different people doing different things, but you can't say that any of them don't care about their horse. Like they yeah. are totally just going to town trying to make sure that their horse is as healthy as possible and like we said without the assistance of medication right without masking anything they can't can't. like these horses are going to be drug tested yep yeah and do you know are most of them drug tested is it random how does it work at a five star they usually do i think the winner and the second place um, they do anything that is abnormal. So a a very unexpected result. So maybe a horse that, um, you know, didn't do so well in dressage and then somehow, you know, came back gangbusters (laughs) for cross country. Listen, that could just be, it can, a good old cross country horse. And that is true. And that's, what's harder actually in the eventing, because there are some of those horses that are Are just high strung second to last in dressage all the time and finish really, really well. (laughs) Um, so they, they will do that. Um, and then it is random. You know, so they, they do pick, and I don't know how many they pick every year. Yeah. I don't know if it's like five every year, um, but I do know it's but generally. it's a large amount. It's generally the first and the second place and then a couple other. Cool. Mm-hmm. And do you know, we obviously have gotten into this idea of drug testing humans. So are there more humans being drug tested at a larger event or is it kind of status quo? 
Honestly, the only event that I know that they drug test humans at is Young Riders. Interesting. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and um, there are some very important heart medications that yeah. are technically illegal. Yeah. Um, and people with heart issues have not been able to compete at high level because of their medication that they're on that they, you know, to keep their heart beating. That's really scary. Um, so um, that is honestly the only FEI event that I know of that they drug test the yeah. people at. Um, they, I'm sure they do. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Well, we know they did it at Ocala. We know they did it yeah. a couple of other places. It's just, yeah. We just don't see... Like, I wouldn't know what the human drug tester looks like. Is no, it the yeah. same? Is it the same Is group? it the same? Probably Are they just not. asking you to go pee in a cup? No. Taking think, your blood? I think they take your blood. That'd yeah. be really... No thanks. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. Um, good with horse needles. Not great with human needles. It's fine. So... They're big needles. They're like 18 gauges, too. That's just rude. They're bigger than what we pull the horse's blood with. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the size of my acupuncture needle. <laughs> yeah. That's really mean. Yeah. We should write a petition. No, probably not. It's not going to It's not gonna change it. <laughs> Maybe don't fight with the drug testing people. No. Okay, so we have gotten the horses walked. Mm-hmm. They've gotten fluids if they can. Mm-hmm. They've gotten body work. Mm-hmm. Grooms are kicked out of the barns yep. at a certain time. Yep. And then we're allowed back in the barns at what, like 4.35 a.m.? At 5 a.m. is what I thought, yeah. So, yep. And then we have quite possibly the most scary day. Yes. The jogs. The jogs. Before stadium. The jogs before dressage, obviously scary. Mm -hmm. But most of those people know whether or not their horse is going to pass. And most of those people are not going to present a horse. Correct. That's not going to pass. Yeah. But post cross country, we're going to have some aches and pains, pulled shoes, little, you know, scratches. Yeah. Pulled shoes is a big one. You know, um, the farriers are there late Saturday night. The farriers are usually there Sunday mornings. Um, but even then, are you just putting holy water on every single nail? Could you imagine clicking a horse? Yep. The day of the stadium. Yep. uh, Yeah. They, and, and a lot of these farriers, especially, um, years of Olympics or years of WEG, there are team farriers. Yeah. They're big boys. Um, and they will, um, they will watch the horse walk. They will put the shoe on. They will watch the horse walk again. They will watch the horse trot. If they're not happy, they'll pull that shoe yeah. off and they will reset it. Yeah. You know, they don't want it to be a hot nail, you yeah. know, or, you know, something like that. So yeah, the farriers are involved. Um, usually, and especially at the five-star level, the riders are usually pretty savvy. Yeah. So a lot of the riders will jog their own horses um, and just, you know, say, okay, they look good to me, you know, not everyone has a vet that's there. There are a lot of vets that are there Sunday morning watching the horses jog before they go to trot ups. Yeah. Um, you know, to not again that we can give any medication, but we can acupuncture. Yeah. You know, we can say, hey, go cold hose that leg for another 20 minutes. Keep walking it. You know, say, hey, or just say, hey, this leg looked really tight yesterday. It does not look tight yeah. today, and it is sore. Yeah. Um, kind of being a little bit, you know, we don't really need the voice of reason, but at the same time, that's so hard to make Yeah. that decision without that second opinion, that backup right. person supporting you to scratch on that yeah. big of yep. a stage. Yep. And the, the vets, the delegation, they do not actually touch the horse at the second jog up. So they just watch the horse jog. Um, there is a hold vet, and if the horse does not jog – fit enough to continue, um, that the hold vet goes and palpates it. It's okay. not the, it's not the FEI delegate that does that. And then the hold vet can palpate it and then pass it. They or have, once it's touched, is they, it done? Nope. So the, they go to the hold vet, they get palpated, they get rejogged. They cannot 
flex and jog off like how we do a normal lameness okay. exam, they can do what's called a passive flexion. So they can sit there and crank on its ankle and put its leg down. It cannot jog off after that. But you can tell a lot if you crank on a horse's ankle and it really resents it, tries to snatch <laughs> its leg away. Um, and then, you know, plus swelling in the joint or uh, sore soft tissue structure. Um, then the hold vet walks down with the horse. The horse is always in view of the hold vet at that point. Um, walks down to the delegate. The hold vet talks with the delegation, um, which is usually a vet, and then the other stewards, and says, hey, these are my findings. Yep. It hoof test positive. You know, it did pull a shoe yesterday, or it's sore on this structure, or it's not sore when I you know, yeah. touch it anywhere. It doesn't hurt. You know, it doesn't resent any flexion. You know, I cannot find a reason for it to be sore. Then it, you have the choice to represent. So the hold vet does not pass you or fail you. It is still the delegate. Okay. So, um, if they find something, the rider can at that point choose to not represent. Yeah. So they can choose to withdraw. Yeah. If you've at that seen point. your ankle or your fatlock of your horse being flexed yeah. and your horse goes straight up in the air. Yeah. There's a good chance you're saying, yeah, yeah. we're done. Yeah. Or oh, you know, worst case scenario, oh gosh, you know, this suspensory branch yeah. is really sore. You know, when you touch it, it's hot, it's swollen. Yeah. You know, they can choose not to walk, you know, they represent. Yeah. Um uh, but you know, a lot of times, you know, if they can't find something, they will jog again. And then it's up to the decision. And it's, it's hard because it's fit to continue is the actual statement. Sound is not the actual statement. I was going to so. ask you that because we, mm -hmm. I know you and I have joked about this mm -hmm. a ton of times. Mm -hmm. There are horses that are very serviceably sound, mm -hmm. but they have an irregular gait. Correct. And it's yep. so hard, you know, to say like, okay, we're going to jog this horse more so in front of people that don't know him, mm -hmm. don't know his history, mm -hmm. and their version of soundness might be different than ours, but more yep. so, like, is it, what is the standard? Is it a one? Like, what is the lameness level that makes them flag it? Is it any unevenness? Usually, especially at Land Rover, especially yeah. that big. Um, you know, they... And it's going to be different per delegate. Yeah. You know, they might be, you know... For me, and so not being a delegate, I am a FEI treating vet. I am not a delegate. But like for me, if I see a horse that's lame up front, if I can see an appreciable head bob, that to me is too lame. Yep. If I see a little bit uneven behind, I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed on that, especially if it has, you know, a history of it palpates fine, you know, you it's not sort of any flexion, um, you know, and it's just a little uneven on its hips, you know, um, that's probably going to get a little bit more of a, a slide by then. If it's got a head bob, yeah. it's probably not passing the jog. Even. And do you think that that kind of goes both ways where like if we know it's more of a hoof issue and it just tests sore, pulled a shoe, whatever, that's a little bit more of a... I think if it's got this? a if it's got a head bob, still... even if it's from a shoe, even it's you know it's sore over this spot on the nail. Yeah. If it's got a head bob, it's probably not doing not stadium. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. is a bummer because Lord knows we've yeah. all been there. You have that pulled shoe. It doesn't matter how well it's reset. It doesn't matter how well the foot was preserved. Yep. Yep. You it run just around. Hurts. Gosh, how many seven miles of that cross country course? Yep. Even if it's boggy. Yeah. That foot's your still going to be a little bit You're sore. still going to hurt. And yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we can use going back to the idea of what's legal and what's not legal. Mm -hmm. Things like Magic Cushion yep. were flagged for FEI. I think they yep. finally have like changed the concoction. I think that there's, makes two, it. there's yeah. two different. Yeah, there's like yeah. an extra strength that's not allowed and there's yeah. a normal one. But there's yep. stuff like that where 
to you or me to get done, we could go for a cross country school today and mm-hmm. be like, you know what? I'm just going to put some poultice on my horse's feet. And a lot of that stuff they can't, can't do. Yep. So there's only so much that you can do for that pulled yeah. shoe that would be general yep. to do yep. on a daily basis. Yep. Keep that foot iced and really just hope that, yeah, if you lose a shoe, that is <laughs> just it, a lot of hydrotherapy. <laughs> a lot of hydrotherapy. You know, yeah, you really just hope that, you know, the farrier doesn't quick him, you know, or yeah. just that that foot isn't beat up, you yeah. know. Because, um, yeah, galloping what they gallop is tough, you yeah. know. And we jog them on a hard surface. Yeah. And that's going to show it even more. And it is. I think that's the one thing we have to appreciate is that it is darn close to cement. Yeah. Like that we are jogging them on for the jogs both on Wednesday and Sunday morning. Yep. Like this is not the beautiful, you know, synthetic footing that you're seeing in the Rolex arena. No. So a horse that maybe maybe they've already taken him to an arena and let him go for a trot and he could be trotting perfectly sound in that cushiony, rubbery, mixtured Mm -hmm. footing. But mm-hmm. you put them on the pavement mm-hmm. and you're going to see a totally different, yep. pre- you know, picture. Yep. It's basically packed dirt with a little bit of grit so that they don't slip. Because <laughs> yeah. we all know those horses like to do airs above Listen. ground. Listen, <laughs> just because my horse goes Bambi <laughs> during jogs doesn't mean every other horse does. Oh, but I they swear. do. There's just, there is like little butterflies and circus music and Max brain <laughs> and it's fine. We still love him. <laughs> Just, they just did the Chronicle. Just did like on their Facebook. Did like the best airs above ground from the past, the previous years, and it was like um, yeah, Mac, Parker clip clop, um, all the airs above ground. Okay, but pictures. Mac doesn't do airs above ground. Mac does airs below I know. ground. I know. Like we go to flex my thoroughbred, mm-hmm. and instead of like jumping into the air and throwing himself yep. in happiness, he just lays Falls down. down. It's, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. So any last words of wisdom? Do you have any tidbits for the competitors, for the spectators? Are you excited about one Oh my thing? God. It's, I am excited every year. Saturday's the best day of the year. Yeah. Um, spectators, um, if you hear someone say, get out of the galloping lane. <laughs> get out. Get out of the galloping lane. I literally had to drag a very oblivious lady around two years ago because she almost got creamed by a horse because she just was walking in the middle of the galloping good lane. Lord. Not even near a thing. Um, and you know, just good luck to all the oh, competitors. Wait, roll back to the spectators. If you take your dog oh. off its leash, mm-hmm. we will hunt you down. Yeah. And then we will take your dog away from you mm-hmm. and you'll never get it back. Mm-hmm. It'll be very like, I don't know, the guy from Taken. <laughs> just, you will never see the poor dog again. You might think you have a good dog, but do you really have a good dog? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, who was it? Was it Buck that got chased by like a German shepherd a couple <sighs> years ago? I don't remember. That's- if you yeah. become that person, <laughs> there, we should put like a most wanted list on the front of the Kentucky Horse yes. Park. All dogs on leashes. Or just don't bring your dogs. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. There's really very few dogs that want to stand around for like All six day. hours while you peer over people's shoulders. Yes. So. Yeah. Just don't bring them. Yeah. If you do, have like a backup plan. Leash. And if you do, have a leash. real leash, not a retractable one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. That is, that's my sales pitch. Anyhow, so back yeah. to who you're excited yes. about. So, <laughs> no, just, I, we just hope every year that, um, you know, we it's a good, safe year and yeah. everyone completes and, you know, we on the vet side about it, you know, we talk about it before cross country, we talk about it after cross country, we talk about the fences yeah, that were problems. There's there's debriefings, there's Oh, everything. there's so many things. We talk so about the footing, things. we talk about... Um, we talk about, you know, what fences rode well, yeah. you know, and, and the delegate vet does have all those notes and she t- 
takes it to the course designer. Yeah. You know, so um, last year I was at the Normandy Bank, and God, that's a scary fence to be at all day. <laughs> yeah. I think I it rode. I was at the head of the lake last it, year. <laughs> it rode exceptionally well. Yeah. You know, I had a couple bobbles, a couple people popped off. You know, one horse did splits over A, you know, but recovered yeah. and jumped B and C, no problem. Um, so, you know, we talk about all those things yeah. and, you know, we just, we just want everyone to make it home. Yeah. That's really hundred percent. I think, I don't mm-hmm. think that people realize, like we understand that it's a quote unquote death defying sport. Mm-hmm. None of us enjoy the danger. Like none no. of us want it to be a headline. No. And it's more so just watching the best of the damn best mm-hmm. on the best of the damn best mm-hmm. jumping yep. fences that make the rest of us poop our pants. Yep. I would like to sit there all day and not leave my truck. That is my goal yeah, every same. year. I don't want my trailer to move. Yep. It never has. Yep. Yeah. Knocking on a ton of wood. Yep. And I hope it never does. Mm-hmm. But we are there yes. in case and they hire the best of the best to be there in that mm-hmm. case. And I think that's the thing that every spectator or fan or even person that doesn't like eventing needs to know we're is there. that we are there yeah. and we're trying to keep it safe and mm-hmm. they're doing the best they can do to have the best people there to do that. Yep. Well, I think that's an awesome place to end on that note. It, you know, it's only in a few days. We have been checking the weather. It (laughs) looks like it's actually going to be amazing. Again, drum roll on the wood. Um, None of us want to be in our wellies and rain pants. Or scarves and hats. Oh, I just sit in my trailer in a seat. I open the center ramp. I sit in my little folding chair and I cover myself in my horse's coolers. See, yeah. the vet truck, I can't really do no, that. No, you really can't do, do that. So if I sit in the vet truck, then I can't get out. If I sit outside, people <laughs> start talking, start to, you talking to me. Asking you to hold their dogs. No, I've never been held to hold, asked to hold a dog. I have been oh. asked to treat um, <laughs> the Outriders horses You're a vet. before. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. That, that happens too. Um, which we're there for, you know, and we just send those back because there's vets in the barns and we send those outrider horses back to the barns <laughs> if they need treating. Um, but yeah, no, the, the goal is to only talk about good things and, you good know, ju-ju. tell people that we're there and not move the truck. Yeah. Unless we absolutely have to. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, same for you. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. I know, bright and early Saturday we'll, morning. We'll do our air five as we drive past each other. <laughs> but more yep. so, just the best of luck to all the competitors. Yep. It's yes. the biggest weekend in North American eventing. And yep. we hope everybody comes out, supports everyone, does a lot of shopping. Don't yep. look at your bank accounts right now. It's nope. fine. Nope. Just And don't tell your husband that you're coming. That's my main strategy. Yes. Uh, I think Luke knows. Probably. Luckily, I don't own a horse right now, so my husband is pretty safe. Until I buy a horse. Also, side note, even if you yeah. don't own a horse, there's yeah. a ton of shopping, which Heather can expand upon later. Is there a bug on me? You got it. Ah! You got it. <laughs> Heather's like motioning to me that there's something <laughs> flying on my neck. You got it. It's you fine. Got it. I think this isn't taped because you guys would have just seen a full-blown panic attack. Okay. Well, I will sign off. Dr. Yep. Woodruff, thank you so much for coming. It was lovely to be here. It was fun. I only said Rolex twice, and you only said Go Gators once. Go Gators. So I owe you a beer. <laughs> it's fine. I'll bring it to you on Saturday after Cross Country. After over. Cross Country. At the Grand Prix. Yes. Everybody come to the Grand Prix at 4.30. Yes. Cool. Yep. And then see Mac with the American flag. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Heather will be there acupuncturing him before his big his big appearance. Maybe I'll be doing some mental stability needles for him. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, are you kidding me? That's like Mac's shining moment. Yeah, he loves it. He literally just fancy prances around. He doesn't need mental stability. Cool. Well, yeah. everybody come out to Land Rover. I almost did it again. Good job. 
come to cross country day it is a huge family experience and then stick around for the grand prix more importantly to see my thoroughbred carrying the american flag cool (laughs) thanks heather no problem Okay, so next we have Lillian Hurd, who is not only one of the up-and-coming future stars of our U.S. eventing team, but also, in my personal opinion, one of the prettiest riders to be seen out on course. I even remember Karen O'Connor saying that it was just a damn shame that you weren't in the equitation ring. Um, Obviously preparing for the upcoming week at the Kentucky Land Rover five-star event, which I am sure I will mess up and say Rolex at least once during this interview. Uh, (laughs) Fun fact about you, Lillian, that actually John, my lovely producer, just told me is that you have a double major in literature and foreign affairs. That's right. Which Using I mean, it well. Yeah, we might just have you weigh in on what's going on in the Middle East. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'll like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're like, it's been a few years. Yeah. But, um, basically, we're just super excited to talk to you about your preparation for this massive event, you obviously are competing Barnaby, um, LCC Barnaby. And right. I think I that you'll agree with me that we're all just crossing our fingers and toes that you're going to beat your personal best of 13th, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, it's a possibility. Like the horse is uh, pretty seasoned at the level and um, and has the ability to do well in all three phases. He's also... A little bit unpredictable, a little bit high strong, a little bit emotional. Um, so aren't, aren't all the good ones? There's like every event. I'm either like gonna do my best or gonna do my worst, and I never have any idea which one it's gonna be. That's always so, a great um, feeling. Yeah, yeah. So he 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 can be a little bit cause me to have high stress as well. But he's been preparing really well, and. Um, you know, he knows how to do it. Like, there's no question about that. I don't envy the riders that are on horses that don't know, you know. Um, like, he's jumped that size jump a billion times. Yeah. There's no question about that. He's jumped every skinny, every corner. Like, he, he knows how to do it. I just need to, like, pull on him and get him to turn because he's a fast, <laughs> bold horse. And so that's really where my head's at now, like, getting ready to, to hopefully ride. Like, he, if I ride my best, he he's going to do it, but I've got to ride my best. That's really really actually interesting to hear because I had this mental realization the other day. I'm sure you're about to give me like a come to Jesus lecture (laughs) about it because you've seen me ride. But there is just something, I feel like there's something about the highest levels of this sport that you either have it or you don't. And I was thinking about this while schooling a more technical element out on cross country and you have to think so quickly to get through those conversations. Yeah. Heck yeah, you can be sitting on a horse that's going to help you and is going to lock on to a skinny or an angle jump and want to do it. And that's the right. component. But you have to be able to jump, sit, land, shoot. And that I don't, I don't think a lot of that can be taught. I think that you were born with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, you have to think really quick, but not just once on course you have to do it over and over again and that's that's where I've um when I've had a problem it's been like um you know I did the 10 combinations before perfectly and then it's like just that one millisecond um at the absolute top that they just you don't 
you can't afford it. You know, you have to be on your game the whole way around. And um, you, you have to have control of your nerves and your sort of focus. If you go out there terrified, which you're going to have a little bit of that, but, you know, if you go out there really feeling that way, it's so hard to actually ride that quickly. And um, luckily, you know, my first horse, Whitey is what I call him, but share option was his um, show name. Probably most of you guys would recognize it because he'd been around Kentucky a lot of times, but he did the whole thing very slow. Yeah. So he taught me. I I did get to learn it a little bit because he did it slower, and he didn't need me to be super fast with my instincts to make sure that I could get it done because he was so, you know, relaxed and rideable throughout it. So um, definitely Barnaby, I've got to be like 100 times faster and totally ready to, like, shut anything down. You know, oh, we're too far to the left, oh, we're too far to the right, oh, my gosh, we're jumping, you know, <laughs> out here. Like, that just happens the whole way around. So you're right, that's without a doubt the hardest thing about it. You know, like, we've I've been spending months preparing for this event with, like, this event as my sole focus, of course. Yeah. I've got other things going on, but it's, like, what's in your head. And you're going to the dressage shows and you're going to the show jump clinics and you're worrying about, you know, this, that, and the other. And then when it comes to, like, a couple of days before the whole thing, you're just like, oh, crap, I hope I can get around the cross country. <laughs> you know, obviously I want to I wanna do well in the in the other stuff, but and I plan to. But um, that's what it's all about, you know. That's When, it, when yeah. you come down to crunch time, that's what you're thinking. Ooh, I hope I can ride this well, you know. That's, so that's breaking that worried. down a little bit, because I definitely think that's some of the stuff is why I wanted to talk to you of all people about this, is that you've you've done this a few times. Like how many times have you come to Kentucky? I think this will be on um, my sixth year, but I've had a couple horses for yeah. a couple of years, so maybe like my eighth time around it or something like that. So obviously it changes horse to horse, but let's break it down. So how what is what does the preparation look like? And also, how does that differ between, say, Whitey and Barnaby? Like, what is the preparation this year compared to the first year you went? Yeah, so um, your main things are you got to kind of put the look at your calendar, look at the date of Kentucky, and count back from there and say, how many events do I need to get ready? Um, how many gallops do I need to get them fit? And then maybe what sort of schooling shows dressage shows, I do a lot of dressage shows, lessons, like what do I need to not only get to this event, but hope to improve at it. Um, Whitey always needed a lot of galloping kind of early on in the season. And then like for me to lay off him when it got closer to the event, because he would get a little bit sour and kind of lazy. And like, I needed him coming in feeling like really, really strong and fat and wonderful. Whereas Barnaby, I kind of want to come in with him a little exhausted. Like, I don't want him to feel, be feeling too awake because he, I need him relaxed, not just for the dressage. I need him relaxed for the whole thing. So um, Which is funny because he's not 100% thoroughbred. He's mostly Irish. No, right? he's got no thoroughbred in him. He's got, like, 32% or something. So I always joke I think he's a whole lot less of the thoroughbred. Like, he's, he, he's got the mindset, but definitely not the blood. But um, so I've changed my plan this year just a little bit in the sense that I've sort of been galloping all the way up till today I did my last gallop on him um when normally with Whitey I would be kind of already all done with that and just kind of hacking him now and trying to keep him like um full of energy but uh 
I've, because Barnaby's come a couple years in a row too, I've sort of been fine tuning my prep and, you know, like they did a combined test at Fair Hill today for the four star horses to be able to do the test. And I've done that in the past with him, but what I've realized is if I go into the dressage ring here and he blows up, then there's like no, I can't like go to another one. It's sort of like yeah. too late. And they yeah. kind of gets it in his head that dressage needed something for him to be nervous. So this year I didn't do it because I thought, okay, I, I, it could go well, but it could go bad. If it goes bad, I got nowhere left to go. Like I just got to go to Kentucky off that. So, you know, I'm learning every year how to kind of tweak my preparation. And on top of that, I, you know, my barn is, I rent a barn from Boyd Martin and next door to his property and I ride with him every day. So he's like constantly, basically daily giving me advice on what to do with my horses and when to cross country school and when to jump and jumping with him. Like I basically have someone helping me and telling me what to do every day, which I love. He probably is very annoyed by me by now, but I love it. (laughs) I think that a lot of the lower level eventers or maybe the people that don't event at all don't realize how intensive you're working hands-on, not only with a trainer, but also with your veterinarian. And oh, making totally. sure that your horse is at that tip-top shape. So is there anything you can elaborate on that of what – Yeah, well, I – you know, it, it's like it takes so much to keep a horse feeling very – very. you want you don't want them to be like, oh, yeah, they're sound. They're going to pass a jog up. Yeah. That's, like, not what you care about. It's, I want them feeling really good, especially for dressage, because that's, you know, critical to be able to get a good score is that your horse is, like, feeling awesome. So – my vets are out there every week looking at the horses. I've got body work people, you know, you, you, I'm giving them Adequan. I'm giving them ulcer medication, like everything you can think of. It's funny. I I was joking with my vet the other day, like that this last week, I just start being like, whatever you think, I'll do whatever. I don't care what it costs. <laughs> whatever we need to do. Do it, you know, do we need another massage? Like money goes out the window the closer you get to Kentucky. Yeah. You just want to do, you want them to feel good. You know, they're, they're under an incredible amount of like stress and impact on their bodies and all that. And you, you, you can't just like go on a wing and a prayer and hope they're going to stay feeling good. Like it, it takes, it takes a lot of hard work to keep them feeling good. And now what else will you do during the event? Because obviously this is an FEI event. Right. So there's not much you can can do, do, but yeah. Yeah. So um, I have bodywork people. They're called Results Equine Therapy. They're in Aiken, if anybody is in Aiken and is looking for awesome people. And they come to Kentucky with me and then and work on him like every day, if not twice a day. He doesn't. Barnaby's a little bit of a grump in the stall. So um, unlike Whitey, Whitey loves them. Like they could have lived in a stall and he would just love them. Barnaby gets a little grumpy with them. So we can't, I can't, I would have heard them work on him like five times a day, but he would just probably kill one of them. Um, <laughs> so they'll work on him as much as he'll allow. And I've got um, my vet coming, which she'll just be monitoring him. Um, and then, you know, you can give him Adequan while we're the, while you're there. That's allowed, and okay. I'll probably do that like after cross. I normally give him some Adequan after cross country just to like make him feel good for show jumping. Um, but you know, it's funny. A lot of people wouldn't have been back in the barns at a at a five star, but um, there are like so many different body work type people walking around. You know, like magnoid people and massage people and carpet acupuncture. Like it's just every if you can think it up, it's there. 
Yeah. At, at at Kentucky. I wouldn't say that's necessarily true overseas. Overseas, it's like you're lucky if you can find a veterinarian. Like, nobody's doing anything <laughs> with their horses. I remember, but. I remember the first time I was back in the barns after cross country and just being, you know, unless you've groomed or ridden at that level, you just don't realize what goes into it, especially after cross country day where every horse is hooked up to fluids. They're yeah, in, I mean, ice, they're like getting we like ice a little bit. So but, much stuff, yeah. Yeah, and now yeah. the invention of all these massage blankets and acupuncture. Yeah, everything, yeah, it's all going on. That's right. And probably what we're what we're really, like, messing with is maybe a, like, 2%, 3% improvement in our yeah. performance the next day. But we'll take it. We'll do everything we can for that. We do it for 0.05%. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, that's so you kind of touched funny. on the fact that, you know, it's it's Kentucky. It's different. It feels different. You obviously, we, we kind of consider you one of us here in Lexington because yeah. you come here so a lot of time there. Yeah. Clinic. Um, but you go to the horse park during what is now Land Rover, and it just feels differently to everybody. Do you still get that feeling when you pull into the horse yeah, park? Yeah, totally. You know, um, it doesn't feel quite the way it did the first time. Yeah, that's But I think that was, like, utter t- utter terror. Like, I think yeah. that's what I was actually feeling that time. I think um, that's going to be my first prelim, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably my first prelim on, like, my young horse, too. So we're all <laughs> doing it over and over again. Um, but I definitely get like really excited driving in and um I that doesn't wear off. I I don't think it ever could. Even if the old guys told you it did, I, I think they'd be lying. It's pretty yeah. exciting. And do you think it feels different? Like you've obviously gone abroad, so is there a difference between what you're feeling in Kentucky? Yeah, there is. That's an interesting question. Like I want to go and don't get me wrong, I want to go overseas and compete at all these events and that's like my goal in the future but there's something and I think there will always be something special about Kentucky like it's um it's it's different the overseas events they they're a little bit less um when you drive in especially as a competitor it's sort of just like am I going to a backyard show right now what's happening (laughs) it's it's just it's different I don't know and you also don't know anybody when you drive in well you sort of I start to know people now but it's not like I'm gonna see all my friends and they're I'm gonna have so many like there's gonna be so many people here that are supporting me and it's just this big like massive feeling you know where yeah. you go overseas and you're like i'm just this one person that doesn't know anybody and probably shouldn't be here and i hope i do well you know it's kind of well, we've, we've even kind of gotten that vibe um your your tribe in lexington and i think that we all kind of get tribes behind some of these bigger riders that when yeah. you are overriding overseas and we're watching the live streams they almost just like pan off the American they don't riders. ever yeah like look nobody will even know i was there every yeah. time Whereas, uh, which is fine because I am like oh but nobody told me miss at that fence. But yeah. um <laughs> but there's, yeah. know, there's people screaming your name yeah. every yeah. and you know, we're definitely I think American eventing has had such a little bit of a lag between when we yes. really had those metal people. So we have right. so much support for those riders that are up and coming and doing well and we've heard their names and you know, you really root on everybody. Granted, all of us are still rooting on Mikael Young and William Foster. Right, of course. But, yeah, exactly. But it definitely is. It just is a different vibe. Yeah, it's a different vibe. You're time. right. Yeah, no, you're exactly right about that. And is there, like, anything else, really, that you're looking forward to? You know, obviously you say it's cross-country is the big day, but 
obviously you're a beautiful show jumper, a beautiful dressage rider. Like what is the one element of next weekend that is going to be like your give it your all? Um, well, you're, you're right. Show jumping, I would say, is my strongest phase, um, mm-hmm. with this horse anyway, um, and with Whitey as well. So, uh, it probably actually, I like practice at the least. I'm sort of like, uh, when was the last time I show jumped? I should probably do that. <laughs> um, but, uh, now I you're going to go get on today. Yeah, I'm like, uh, <laughs> girls, tech bar to be up. I've already show jumper. Um, <laughs> but I, that's, I, I, I tend to be able to, like, get uh, excited. I mean, I'm obviously really nervous, but an excited feeling for show jumping because I'm not as nervous about it. Cross country, kind of beforehand, it doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go do this. I'm sort of like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. no, I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You know? <laughs> um, and dressage as well. Dressage is definitely my worst, my least confident face. Uh, that's Barnaby as well, though. That I'm not going to take all the blame on that. Um so yeah, I guess I'd say show jumping. I'm excited, but I at in my uh, week before a five star uh, optimistic phase, like I'm looking forward to all of it. I want to go do it. I want to do it well. I don't want to be disappointed. Like I want to, I want to be as good as I know I can be and as good as my horse can be. And um, you know, I actually haven't had the best run at my last. I've had okay runs, but I could have done a lot better at my last two. Um, five stars, so I'm sort of ready to go and put that behind me and get the job done. And is there a different feeling of the fact that we only have one five star in North America? So it's literally like one or done, and then yeah. you you have to wait till next year for that redemption ride. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty high stakes. Not to mention, like, it's not just one weekend for us. Um, yeah. I've been spending since January, if not, like, September of last year trying to get to this in better form than I've ever gotten to one before, you know, like everything. So that's a, that's a, it, it, there's a lot of pressure there to do it properly. Okay. So just to break it down for listeners that can cheer you on next week. Okay. What is our goal for dressage? What are we hoping okay. we're under? Okay. So my last three, four stars, I've gotten like, I think a 36 point something. Okay. Silva and I always joke that Silva's my dressage trainer, boy's wife, and we always joke that I'm like, well, if nothing else, you're very consistent. <laughs> but I actually have to work really hard to get that 36 because that's only that's what I get when he's calm. So imagine yeah. if he wasn't calm. So um, I would like to get below a 36. That was just going to be that. Uh, that that doesn't sound very ambitious, but that's how ambitious I'm going to be. <laughs> If it's way below, I'll be very happy. If it's about, if it's a 36.1, which would be the lowest score I got, you know, I'd be happy with that too. If if the dressage judges are listening, do you hear this? <laughs> yes. We're just, just asking for a 36.05. 36. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> We're not asking for much. <laughs> okay, so then cross country, obviously the obvious is clear. Are we clear. hoping for double? I want to make time. I want to be able to make time. I've never done it before, so okay. that's like, you know, ambitious. So if we see ambitious. that streak of really dark bay with green yeah, you're gonna be like definitely and finally trying. I'm not very good at going fast. I've never been the fastest rider. Maybe next Barnaby's year we strong. just need to get you to Kentucky and just put you on the backside for a couple of weeks before. Before yeah, exactly. I need to get used to just going really fast. Yeah, so <laughs> I want to be able to make time. Who knows if I have it in me, but I'm, I've am i told myself that I'm at a prelim event this weekend, 
at Fair Hill, and I and I've got it on a young horse, and he's done two prelims. And I was like, Lily, you're going to make time at this prelim because you need to practice going fast. It's the so, equitation rider in you. It's right. all I don't want. I don't want to come. Different. I don't want to come in on that distance, and I like to take my time preparing so it looks beautiful. And it's you're like my good. my heels are down and my boots yes, are out and my exactly. Exactly. I, can't, I need to I need to get rid of that. So that's that's my plan to not do that. Okay, right the stadium, have you gone double clean in the past? Yes. Um okay. uh well last year Barnaby had I've done double clean on Whitey a lot, but last year Barnaby had no rails but I had a time fault which was annoying. I wasn't ah. the first first one or the second one out, so I I blame it's like not even an excuse. Yeah, um, so I would like to not have that time fault, and I think that's totally possible if I have a rail to be my fault. So um, I'm I'm going for that. Okay. So lift. And you know what? If I finish on a 36, that'd like, be pretty badass. That could be pretty great, you know. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. That's that's where my head's at. Okay. Well, this is probably the perfect place to stop, and <laughs> we will all. Are you riding Thursday or Friday? Uh, I think I'll go Thursday, probably midday. Okay, so Thursday we're crossing horse god's fingers. Yeah, everybody just take deep, calming breath. Deep, calming yeah. breath on Thursday. We'll, we'll all <laughs> take a calming supplement together yes, and pants. Exactly. And we'll have a beverage waiting for you. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and then we'll just pray for a nice, well, we'll pray for no rain, but a nice clean cross country, a clean yes. stadium, and we're going to best that 13th place. Perfect. Let's do it. Cool. Well, it was so good talking to you, Lillian. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time, and I'm sure I'll see you next week. But if I don't, go kick butt. Awesome. Thanks. Good talking Thanks, to you Lillian. guys, too. Okay. Bye. So we hope you guys enjoyed this inaugural episode of Turn Out Podcast brought to you by Carly Fedorica and John Wilkinson and presented by Equithrive. I had a blast talking to all of the lovely women that we spoke to. And we really hope you guys will tune in for our next episode, which will be highlighting the Kentucky Derby. What else would we talk about heading into that first weekend in May here in Lexington, Kentucky? And we really hope to get some opinions, not just on the trainers and jockeys that you'll see on NBC Sports, but also talk to some of the scientists that are researching how we keep these horses safe and what we do to protect them. And then finally, we're going to talk to a breeder and owner of what she contributes to the industry and how she raises really good, clean, sound horses. We hope you guys will tune in. This one will be definitely be a bit more thoroughbred-centric for those of us that are racehorse lovers and owners, and uh, it'll be a really exciting episode. <laughs>